You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, good morning. Thank you, Mark and worship leaders. It's great to be with you today. I'm Mike James, and uh, sorry under these circumstances. I've been praying for your pastor since I heard he had COVID, and uh, my wife and I had COVID back in January. It's not a fun thing, and I'm glad to hear that he's making improvements. You Keep him in your prayers, because that's very, very important. I drove up from Versailles this morning. I probably should have taken a boat instead of my car. Pretty heavy rains, and uh, you know, I heard about two guys that were arguing once they were in this restaurant. You know, everybody said, do you pronounce it Versailles or Versailles like you do in France? And these two guys were in a restaurant in Versailles. They were arguing. One guy said, you know, this is, it's called Versailles. And the other guy said, no, it, it's, it's Versailles, just like you would say. In, they argued for about 20 minutes. Finally, they said, well, let's, let's, let's find out. So they called a little waitress over and said, come here. And they said, ma'am, how do you pronounce the name of this place? And she said, Burger King. And so, <laughs> but it is great, great to be, be with you. I was here about 10 years ago. I'm sure you remember that well and have your notes from when I preached uh, decades. Usually it takes churches about 10 years to invite me back, so I, I look forward to it. I actually went to a church last Sunday and uh, uh, led the worship at a church that I was in 50 years ago and did a worship service. So they waited 50 years, but you all had me back sooner, and I really do uh, appreciate that. But it is a joy uh, to be with you, and uh, again, I'm praying for your pastor and your church. You know, I heard about a preacher that uh, uh, was somewhat humor-impaired. And uh, he just never could tell jokes and was just, uh, well, to be honest, he was a little boring. And, uh, and so he went to a pastor's conference, and I go to those all the time to learn how to be a better speaker, improving your skills. And he went to this breakout session on how to use humor. And the presenter at that pastor's conference came out, and the first thing he said was this. He said, I have a confession to make this morning. The best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman, and that woman wasn't my wife. Well, the pastors went, wow, you know, and it was pretty quiet, 30 seconds, then a minute. And then the speaker followed it up by saying, and that woman was my sweet mother. And so everybody kind of laughed at that. So this humor-impaired pastor thought, I'm going to try that at my, my church. So he goes back to his church and He really has tried to memorize this joke. So he gets up uh, in his pulpit and he says very loudly, I have a confession to make this morning. The best years of my life were spent in the arms of another woman and that woman was not my wife. Well, the congregation just, you know, they couldn't believe it. 30 seconds goes by, a minute goes by, two minutes goes by, and the pastor could not remember the second part of the joke. (laughs) And so he just couldn't remember. So finally he says again, he says, I have a confession to make uh, this morning. The best years of my life were spent in the arms of another woman. And then he said, and for the life of me, I can't remember her name. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) you got to be careful with jokes. I love humor and... uh, I'm glad the Lord has allowed us to to laugh and to praise Him, aren't you? This has been a tough year and a half, has it not? And uh, we're not through it yet, but the Lord is faithful, and our hope and confidence is in Him, and we know we're going to get through it. I want to share with you today four biblical principles from Hebrews chapter 12 
verses 1 through 3, a passage that has really uh, blessed me and guided my life for, for years. And these principles help us to know how to run our race for Jesus and to finish strong. The goal that you should have for your Christian life, regardless if you're a young believer, maybe a teenager or a child, or if you're in your 20s or 40s or if you're in your 80s, your goal and my goal should be, Lord, I want to finish this race for you faithfully. I want to finish faithful, faithfully to my last dying breath. You know, not everyone who grows old grows up. Hello? Pick up the newspaper today, and you'll see where people in their 40s and 50s and 60s who should have known better have done some really stupid things. Growing old doesn't mean that you're really growing up and maturing in your faith, but God wants you to grow, and he wants you to mature in your faith. Would you stand in honor of God's word once again? Let me read this passage, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. You know it, but listen to it again. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father God, speak to our hearts through your precious, infallible word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As believers, we are in a race. Uh, not a foot race, but a faith race. I don't know how many of you watched the Olympics several weeks ago. I always like to, to watch all the races and what goes on. Now, when this letter was written, some of these Hebrew Christians were tempted to drop out of the race. There was great persecution going on in the church. Uh, many people were making sinful choices. There was a lot of apathy. You know, we still face those same obstacles today. But the Bible says to these believers and to us, keep on running your race. Don't stop. You can finish. And then he gives us some encouragement to keep us going. You know, we all need encouragement. This pandemic has brought about such discouragement. And, and, and I understand that, but we need to stay encouraged in the Lord. My guess is maybe some of you here today have slowed down in your race for Christ. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing burnout. Uh, maybe you're ready to throw the towel in today. Maybe you're making some really bad choices. You just don't care anymore about spiritual things. You're lukewarm. You're apathetic. Let these verses challenge you to keep on keeping on and regain your passion for the gospel and for Christ. I want you to, uh, to look at these four biblical principles and keep these in mind as we run our race. Notice it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. We run the faith race together, together. God provides other people to encourage us. That's why God thought up the whole idea of the ecclesia, the church, this, this body of Christ that we're in, so that we could, in the words of Bonhoeffer, do life together. Even through a pandemic, we do life together. 
You know, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. In the New Testament, even, uh, uh, we don't see it at all. You know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, you know, you remember that? Some of you younger people need to Google that and you'll see what that means. In the body of Christ, the church, listen, we work together. We serve together. We worship together like we've done this morning. We go on mission trips together. We, we give our tithes and offerings together. We sacrifice together. We pray. We visit. We weep. We laugh. Now, don't be surprised, but sometimes Baptists even disagree. Did you know that? I'm sorry to surprise so many of you this morning. You heard, I know you've heard this before, but I'll tell it again. You heard about the Baptist that was stranded on a, a desert island for 25 years, isolated, just, just by himself. And one day a ship nearby saw that there was someone on this deserted island, so uh, they immediately dispatched a boat to go get him, and he was so glad to, to see these people come to rescue him after 25 years on an island by himself. And, and the people on the boat from the big ship marveled at, at how long he had been there and how he was able to survive. He said, well, would you like a quick tour of the island before I leave? They said, yes. And so uh, they noticed three buildings uh, in the distance, and they said, what are those? And this uh, Baptist said, well, the first building is my home. That's where I have lived the last 25 years by myself. And they said, what about the second building? He said, well, uh, that's where I go to church. That's my church. I built that, and I go to church there. And they said, well, what about that third building over there? He said, that's where I used to go to church. Uh, so we laugh about that, but it is so true sometimes of us. Now, you see the first word in this passage is the word therefore. When you see a therefore in Scripture, you should ask yourself, what is that therefore? And uh, this therefore points us back to chapter 11. Now, you know that chapter well. It, 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 uh, it is God's hall of fame. In chapter 11 of Hebrews it lists the spiritual giants the champions of the Old Testament these men women and and youth who ran their race and stood up for God in their generation and made an impact now the key to how all these men and women were successful is wrapped up in one short phrase that appears over and over and over in Hebrews 11 and it connects all their names and that phrase is by faith say by faith and that, that chapter says, by faith, Abel, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Moses, by faith, Rahab. You see, verse 1 refers to them as a, as a great cloud of witnesses. These people are the heroes of the faith. Now, the word witnesses does not mean spectators. I'm afraid in church today we have far too many spectators and not, not enough people actually in the game doing something for God. Vance Havner said a long time ago, we've got too much of the world in the church and not enough of the church in the world. And he's right. That's true. Following Jesus is not for spectators. The Greek word and our English word for martyr means witness. Witness. And for many of these early followers, their witness cost them their life. That's true today. In many parts of the world, I'm thinking today about the Christians still in Afghanistan and the persecution that they face. So many of them will be martyred. There's no doubt about it. These people are not witnessing what we're doing. Rather, they're bearing witness to us that God can and God will see us through just like he did for them. We remember their example. 
and, and, and what they endured and how they ran their race. And that encourages us. These faithful people from the past now stand kind of like a, just like a great cloud of witnesses, like a great amphitheater that has rows and rows and rows of people rising up like a great cloud, the scripture says. By the way, we're not the first Christians to struggle with problems, with persecutions, with addictions, with discouragement, with pandemics, with failure. Others have run the race and worked through their difficulties and crossed the finish line, and you and I can too. The message here is to follow their example and stay faithful to Christ as you run your race. Now today, this cloud of witnesses is much larger. We think of all the saints in the New Testament. We think of Mark and Paul and Timothy. We think throughout church history of Martin Luther and Calvin. You may think of some of your own family members who have gone already to be with the Lord. I think of some of my mentors, Dr. John Carter and Al Geezer and so many other people that poured into me and made a difference. I think of, you may think of your mom or dad or a grandparent or a coach or a Sunday school teacher. Can you think of a person right now in that cloud of witnesses that made an impact on your life? I can think of so many that I'm so grateful for. They ran their race. Now we must run ours. They had a course set out for their lives, and we do too. By the way, how are you doing in your faith race for Christ? Have you slowed down? Have you fallen on the track? Do you need help getting back up? Notice it says, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses. This, this passage is addressed to believers. If you're here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Christ, this passage probably doesn't make any sense to you. But before you leave here today, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And you can be a part of the greatest movement in the history of the world in following Christ. What is our response to these heroes of the faith in chapter 11? Two things. We need to be faithful ourselves. We need to be faithful ourselves. Secondly, we need to realize that we're always building on the work and faithfulness of other people who have gone before us. Do you realize that? Someday other people will build on our work and our faith and our testimony in our life. It's like the saying, when you see a turtle on the top of a fence post, you can bet your life somebody helped him get up there, right? And we're all turtles on fence posts because people have helped. I heard about a college professor who would often bring his four-year-old son to the college campus, and they would walk hand-in-hand hand down through the campus, and people would see him. And one day the professor was in a rush, and he had his little four-year-old son with him, and he was afraid he was going to be late to his next appointment, so his, he set his son on top of his shoulder, and they were going down through campus. Another professor saw them, went up to him and looked at the little four-year-old. He said, my, my, how you have grown since I saw you yesterday. And the little four-year-old boy said, not all of this is me. <laughs> Folks, I got to tell you, when you see me, and maybe when I look at you, not all of what you see is me. By the grace of God, all of us stand on someone else's shoulders this morning. Today, this is not all me. You don't see Miss Whitaker. She was my Sunday school teacher from about the sixth grade through college. She was about this tall, and that lady taught me more about God's Word than any seminary professor I ever had. 
she knew God's Word, and she gave me such a great hunger for God's Word. You don't see Miss Carter. I did Miss Carter's funeral. She was 95. I did her funeral two months ago. For the last 45 years, that lady prayed for me by name and my wife and my son and my ministry. Heaven only knows how I've been blessed because of her prayers. Paul Austin, the pastor that I was saved under and baptized, so many I could mention that made a difference in my life. And you could mention people too. My grandmother who gave me some money from her social security check so I could go to college. I could go on and on. My wife praying for me even as I preach this morning. Folks, when you see me, I got to tell you, not all of this is me. I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of faithful, loving, caring men and women who poured into my life and made a difference. It's all by God's grace, and I thank the Lord for people he's brought into my life, and I know you thank the Lord for people that he has brought into your life. We're all standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us and invested in us. Let me ask you a question. Who are you investing in? Who are you investing in today that maybe in the future they might look back and say, you know, I remember when Jim or John or Sally took me out for coffee and really discipled me and encouraged me and prayed for me and helped me, helped me go through the situation I was in. Who are you doing that for? Who are you investing in? And sometimes we get a little prideful and think we can do it all ourselves, that it is all up to us. I heard when Muhammad Ali was in his prime, uh, you know, he was pretty brash. He was on an airplane, and the flight attendant said, uh, uh, everybody buckle your seatbelts. And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelts. The flight attendant said, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> to which Muhammad Ali fastened his seatbelt. Listen, think about the people that will be impacted by your faith, your children, your grandchildren, your friends. They will all build on your faith. We do church together, folks. And when we stop doing church together, we lose our witness. Secondly, Scripture says, lay aside every encumbrance. Not some, lay aside every encumbrance. Throw it off. Today we would say, you know, jettison it. Get, get rid of it. Today I want to challenge you to examine your heart and get rid of the encumbrances that slow you down. You have them and I have them. Sometimes in your quiet time, take a blank piece of paper and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you all of your sins and your encumbrances. You might want to have two pens and a lot of paper because the Lord will give you very quickly things in your life that you need to deal with and repent of. You know, when you're carrying too much stuff, you can't live life like God intended. You become weighed down with the concerns of the world. Some of us need to learn that less, less is more. If you can de declutter any part of your life, you need to do that today. Lay aside every encumbrance. Not some, but all. Those who ran in the Olympic races would throw aside everything that might slow them down. So we as Christians, we're, we're bound for heaven, and we should throw aside everything that might slow us down in our faith race. You know, athletes sometimes wear, uh, particularly runners, ankle weights uh, to run to build up their, their muscle. They never wear those weights when they're getting ready to do uh, a race. That would be... That would be crazy. I remember 1972, the last time an American won the Olympic marathon. Frank Shorter, uh, 
won that. And I remember uh, the TV showing him before the race, and he took a razor blade, and he was cutting off little tiny bits of his shoe because he said, you know, if I can cut off a fourth of an ounce over 26 miles, it amounts to like it was like thousands of pounds. And that's what he's saying here. We need to get rid, let go of things that hold us back. Encumbrances and weights are anything that hinders your spiritual growth. If I ask you what is slowing down your spiritual growth right now, your answer would be a weight or an encumbrance. Like maybe you're not, you're not getting into the Word on a regular basis. Your prayer life really is slacking. Maybe you've just been rude to people. Maybe people in, in, in your own family you're rude to. Maybe you've got a besetting sin that you really need to confess and get help with. Maybe your language at work or at school is not becoming of a follower of Christ. Then he says, get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. You know, sin has a way of tripping us up. Have you noticed that? It has a way of sneaking up and just tripping us up. Sin easily entangles us, the scripture says, and before we know it, we're tripped up and fallen on the track. Now, he doesn't name any specific sin here. could be anything. Maybe he's referring to one of our greatest sins. That's just the sin of unbelief. It was unbelief that kept Israel out of the promised land. It's unbelief that stops us from experiencing all that God wants us to experience in this life. We miss so many of God's blessings because of our lack of faith. And that is unbelief. You know what will keep you from being all that Christ desires for you to be? Unbelief. Not exhibit, exhibiting faith. Now, believing the Bible, the opposite of unbelief is faith. The phrase, again, by faith in chapter 11 appears 26 times, showing us that faith in Christ is what empowers us to endure and succeed and to keep on going. Faith always replaces unbelief. We walk by faith, not by sight. We know that, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And by faith we know God will provide for our needs. Hebrews 11, 6, this is a great verse, chapter 4. The Bible says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. People ask me sometimes, Pastor, what, what, what can I do to really please God this week? What can I do? Simple answer. You exhibit faith every day, 24-7. Throughout your day, you exhibit faith in God alone. Romans 1.17 says, The righteous shall live by faith. That's what caused uh, a revolution when Martin Luther understood that verse. Are you living by faith today? What is slowing you down from following Christ? Being the best teacher, the best deacon, the best mom or dad or grandparent, the best husband or wife or student. What's slowing you down? Sin easily entangles us. Sin addicts us. You know, the devil wants to see your life and my life filled with addictions. And I got to say, in our day, he's doing a really good job of it. There's so many addictions in our day. Food, alcohol, drugs, pornography, relationships, TV, media. There's so many things that vie for our time. I heard about a man years ago admitted to Bellevue Hospital in New York. His throat had been slashed, and he died just three days after being admitted to that hospital at the age of 37. 
He had 38 cents in his pocket when he died. The death blow was not self-inflicted, nor was it administered by someone else. It was a bizarre accident. He was drunk and staggering around in his room in the slums of New York. He apparently fell against the wash basin, and when the wash basin fell, and both he and the shattered wash basin hit the floor, and his throat was gashed by a piece of that broken wash basin. When someone found him, he was naked and unconscious, hanging on by a thread. He was transferred to Bellevue Hospital where he died, still trying to sober up, suffering from malnutrition, just another bum who had destroyed his life by alcohol. But as it turned out, this was not just some other bum. His name was a name that you know, Stephen Foster who had once made America sing to tunes like Camp Town Races and Oh Susanna and uh, Jeannie with the Light Brown Hair and, of course, My Old Kentucky Home. And hundreds were perhaps America's first popular songwriter. But now his success was behind him. The acclaim he had received from an admiring public was long gone. And Stephen Foster died a broken man in poverty, addicted by alcohol. Let me tell you, folks, it may be old-fashioned, to preach against sin, but for, i got to tell you, friends, sin will kill you. Sin will kill you. But the good news today that I announced to you this morning is Jesus wants to set you free. Somebody say amen. amen. John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the devil gives you his best shot first, and he saves the worst for last. The scripture says, sin is fun for a season. Don't tell your kids sin's not fun, because it is. Tell them, yeah, it's fun, but there's some things that can happen and some complications that will happen that are not fun. So the devil gives us his best, best shot first and saves the worst for last, but you know, God gives us his grace, his mercy, and his love, and it just keeps getting better and better. Isn't that great? Let go of the sin that will not let go of you. What's your greatest spiritual challenge today? What is keeping you from experiencing personal revival in your life? Is it pride? Is it unforgiveness? Is it a lack of faith? Confess your sin. Now, we run the faith race together. We lay aside every weight and sin. And then thirdly, let us run with endurance. The one thing that runs through this chapter is endurance or perseverance. The word endure means to bear up under trial, to continue when the going is tough. These Christians were going through a, a time of testing. They were tempted to, to give up and to quit. We, we must have that same type of endurance for the race that's set before us. You know, the Christian life and committing your life to Jesus is a lifetime commitment. Don't fizzle out. You've heard this phrase, it's kind of crazy, but I like it. A faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. Don't ask me to say that again. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Let me remind you, church, the Christian life is, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Keep running your race. You know the hardest part of anything is starting. Whether it's going back to school to, 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 to get a degree or get some extra training or starting a diet, whatever it is, starting. I believe God is telling us today, start. Don't wait till tomorrow. God's convicting you of a change in your life. Start 
today. Run the race that is set before you. You've got a different course to run than I've ran. God has a plan for your life that is different than mine. I can't run your race. You can't run my race. But we all should finish our race for Christ strong. And then lastly, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. You know, success, success in any endeavor, endeavor of life is really a matter of focus. Whether it's school, focusing on your schoolwork and, and that, whether it's sports, whether it's your business, whether it's your Christian life. And the key here is to focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes, it says, fixed on Jesus. It doesn't say keep your eyes fixed on your pastor. It doesn't say keep your eyes fixed on your Sunday school teacher or your spouse or your children or yourself. Don't fix your eyes on anyone else, just Jesus. Don't let the little things bother you, focus on Jesus. Don't let the big things bother you, focus on Jesus. You see, what we look at the most, we begin to desire. You know that? Did you know that? What you focus on the, the most, you begin to desire. Now, let me give you a bad example of that. Pornography or desiring sinful things, coveting your neighbor's brand new car that they bought. A good example would be seeing people's needs and helping, seeing a need in your church and volunteering to fulfill that need. What you look at the most, you focus on, and it becomes your desire. Second Chronicles 7 and 14, you know this great passage. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, seeking God's face is our focus. I got to tell you, I have never been in a cage full of lions. Have you? Matter of fact, I never planned to be in a cage full of lions. It's not what I want to do. But we're told it's interesting. If you've ever been to the circus and you've seen uh, these guys go in there with a cage full of lions, it's really interesting. They have a whip. They have a pistols that they use in case something happens. And they carry a stool in there. Isn't that kind of interesting? I read about a, a personal trainer. He said this. He said, the reason they do that is... The lion usually is sitting up like on a, on a stool real high, and the lion trainer will take that stool and just, just poke it into his face. And the lion will paw and paw at one leg and then another leg and maybe another one, and it looks like he's going to jump off and, and, and eat the guy. But after a period of time, something happens with that lion. He becomes paralyzed. He becomes somewhat overwhelmed because he's trying to focus on four legs at the same time and it does something to him it makes the lion tame and weak and disabled why because its attention is fragmented it's unable to focus on the main thing on the one thing listen for us as followers of christ when our attention and our devotion to christ is fragmented by a lack of concentration we begin to focus on two or three or four of the wrong things we too become tame and weak and powerless listen choose today to focus your life on jesus let me ask you a question is jesus all you need if today you had the experience like job did everything you owned everything you cared about was gone like that would jesus 
be enough. Billy Graham once said, if you're not content with what you have, you will never be content with what you want. Listen, we're not called to comfort. We're not called to convenience. We're called to commitment and conviction. Since Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith, the scripture says if we trust in him, he releases his power in us and through us. As we meet him in his word, and as we yield to the Holy Spirit, he increases our faith and gives us the power to run the race each day with endurance and faithfulness and passion. Listen, church, listen. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. It was 7 p.m. on October the 20th, 1968 in Mexico City. The big Olympic Stadium was there. It was beginning to darken, and it had cooled down some, and the last of the Olympic marathon runners were being assisted away to find eight to first aid stations. And over an hour earlier, the great runner Mambo Waldi of Ethiopia had charged across the finish line that 26 miles, 385-yard race, looking as strong and as vigorous as he began. And as the last few thousand spectators began preparing to leave that great stadium, they heard some sirens in the distance and whistles through the gate uh, entering the stadium. And the attention turned to the gate where the Olympic runners had come through an hour before, and a sole figure wearing the colors of Tanzania came limping into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Aquari. He was the last man to finish the marathon in 1968. His leg was bandaged. He was bloody. He had taken a terrible fall earlier in the race and hurt his leg and hurt his shoulder. It was all he could do to just limp his way around that last lap of that track. Well, the crowd saw him and they began to applaud and they stood up and cheered him on as he painfully finished that last lap of that race. When he finally crossed the finish line, one reporter ran up to him and asked him the question. Everybody was thinking, you're so badly injured. You're in so much pain. Why didn't you quit? And a quarry, this quiet, dignified man, said this. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish this race. And he did. I believe... God is saying to many of us through this scripture this morning, finish your race. Finish your race. Finish your race for Jesus. Focus on him. That's the secret of encouragement and strength when the race gets difficult. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and 24 hours news channels and other people and problems and circumstances and get our eyes focused on Christ alone. Why? Because the scripture says he's the perfecter of our faith. You see, faith begins with Jesus. That's salvation. I hope that everybody in this room today has experienced that. I experienced that when I was nine and a half years old. It, it changed the course of my life forever and is still changing my life. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I can't think of a better time right now to make that decision. Our faith ends with Jesus. That's glorification. When we get to heaven, I'm looking around. No one here has gone to heaven yet. Nobody here is glorified yet. But let me tell you, folks, our faith continues with Jesus. The Bible calls that sanctification. Living for Christ each day, growing 
in our faith. Listen, one day our faith will be completed in Jesus. He's the starter and the finisher of our faith. He's already ran the race before us. Let me ask you something. Will you be in that great cloud of witnesses? Will you be in it? Will everybody in your family be in that great cloud of witnesses? 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. That should be the goal of every one of us. Listen, church, run your race. Don't give up. Don't give in to the culture and sin. And don't give out. Some of you have become spiritually lazy. You've let, in some ways, a pandemic allow you to do that. I, I see where you, three decisions I think you can make today as we enter a time of invitation. One, you can come and give your life to Christ. Accept Jesus into your life as your Lord, as your Savior, and repent of your sins. You can come and rededicate your life. Maybe God, the Holy Spirit, convicted you. You know, man, I'm way off, way off the track. These encumbrances have really blown me off the track. I need to repent and get back to where I need to be. Maybe you have someone you're praying for, you're burdened for, and you might want to come to the altar and pray for them. As we, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. You respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Not what I'm telling you to do, but whatever he tells you to do, you need to respond. Father God, thank you so much for this incredible passage of Scripture that has guided me and blessed me and still does, Lord, so much. Thank you, Lord, for giving us these principles that keeps us focused and keeps us moving forward. Lord, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, this morning that needs to make a, deci a decision, maybe repenting of their sins, Lord, maybe coming and moving their membership to this church, maybe confessing an encumbrance, a sin that's taken away their witness and their joy in Christ. Whatever, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we will respond to whatever you're asking us to do. Bless this time, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.